Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this special Resurrection Sunday message. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. Whatever word you release into the heart, may it bear fruit, may it sprout, may it take roots, may it change their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What a diva. <laughs> okay, I almost Thank started you. dancing, my friend. Yes. All right. Glad you guys didn't have to see that. Am I on now? Yeah? You know, this has been quite a morning. Uh, what's going on? Are you going to turn that for me? You know, when you get old, you have to have people take care of you. And <laughs> All right, so, yeah, that, what a great start to Easter, you know, Resurrection Sunday. Um, actually, it started much earlier this morning. Not early enough, but started early. Um, so, in a moment, I'm about to say some, some words that we say in the Christian faith. Uh, I'm going to say, Christ has risen and I'm going to say, instead of he is risen, which we normally do, and then the response is he's risen indeed, that's what you guys say, I'm going to say Christ is risen because I want, to, I want, to, I want you to know who we're talking about because uh, this morning, uh, that couldn't have been said about me. I was supposed to pick Dennis up this morning at 7.25, and uh, when I went to bed last night around midnight, because I was working, I was making sure I had my sermon ready, um, I set my clock and got in bed. And at 7.27 this morning, simultaneously, my wife is waking me up, and Dennis is calling me and saying, where are you? And I looked over, and I had forgotten to switch on my alarm. Now, you know, for you millennials, you don't understand what I'm talking about, (laughs) because you set your phone, and from now on, I'm going to set both my clock and my phone. But we're not talking, when I say he is risen, we're not talking about me. Because I wasn't risen when I needed to be. Okay? So let's try this. Christ is risen. Amen. That's really good. You guys are right on it. You know, we say that, and today is the day that we celebrate his resurrection. And uh, I'm so thankful that Jesus isn't dead. There's no tomb like you can go to. Uh, you can go to David's tomb and you know Jerusalem. You can go to uh, uh, Grant's tomb, I guess. You can go to all you know all kinds of presidents. I've been to President Kennedy's tomb, but there is no tomb where you can find Jesus. I've been to the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem, just outside the the old walls of the city. It's a beautiful place, and the stone is rolled back. And when you go into that tomb, there is no body there. It's an empty tomb. <laughs> I've been there. I've seen it. It's empty. He's not there. Thank God. But this morning, I, I want to I say some things, and I want to ask a question. So, okay, so 2,000 years after the fact, we understand that Jesus, most of us understand, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and his last words from the cross were, it is finished, which also can be translated paid in full. So every sin of every human that's ever existed, every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be commit, committed, 
has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And so it is, our, your sins, my sins are paid in full. That's awesome. I can understand Jesus dying to pay for my sins. But what significance does the resurrection have to do with you and me this morning? What is it about the resurrection that has anything to do with you other than you're glad he's not dead? There's a couple of things, and I'm going to read one here in a moment, but it's not the main one. <laughs> because we don't serve, we don't, we don't have a relationship with a sin-focused God. So much of, of churchianity in, in, in America is focused on our sins. And uh, we're, we're just sinners saved by, by grace and by faith. And, and, you know, thankfully that's not true. We were sinners, we're not anymore. If we believe in Christ, if we have a relationship with Christ. So Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the Paul who was a Pharisee, who got saved, radically saved by meeting Jesus on his way to arrest Christians as, as a very zealous Jew who didn't believe in Jesus and was told that the whole thing about Jesus was a farce. He's on his way to this city called Damascus, and Jesus appears to him in this dramatic vision. He falls off his horse. He's blinded temporarily, and he says to, and, and Paul's name at the time was Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Well, it's interesting because Saul was persecuting Christians. He was arresting Christians. He was having Christians thrown in jail. He was seeing Christians stoned to death, overseeing that. And suddenly he meets this Christ that he didn't know existed. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Because when 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 Christian people who, who belong to Christ are persecuted, they're actually persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself because we're one with him now if you belong to Christ. And so Paul has this incredible experience, and God calls him to the very other. So he hates Christians because he also hates Gentiles. And so, interestingly enough, Jesus calls Paul to start churches and 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 go to the, the Gentile world and tell them about Christ and bring them into Christianity, into a relationship with Christ. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. of about five verses here. They're on, they'll be on the screen. <clears throat> he says, and now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news. We'll talk about that. I preached to you, which you received, in which you take your stand, in, I'm sorry, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And then he says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So let's go ahead and go to the next scripture there. there is, for I delivered to you as, as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Go ahead. And that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then verse 14 if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Wow. Verse 20, praise God, but in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ is risen. Very good, very good. Okay, so we understand from this that, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your, your, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. So still he's talking about sins. But there's something even more important than this. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, a dead man doesn't need his sins forgiven. He needs life. He needs life. So what does that have to do with you and me? I, I just want to say... Straight up, and I'm taking my watch off again. It's buzzing. Somebody's trying to tell me that I was late getting up and I forgot to put on my mic, I think. I know that already, okay? I am now risen. I don't care how you got here this morning or how you ended up watching us online. And by the way, welcome, everyone. Welcome to those who are watching online. I don't care how you got here. You were supposed to be here. You're supposed to be watching or listening to this message because God loves you, and he's a sovereign God, and he got you here. I don't care if you have been looking forward to Resurrection Sunday for weeks or if you're like the little boy who was standing by his dad in his car. This is before the days of car seats and seat belts and all this. I heard the story. There was a little boy that was, you know, he was maybe four years old. And he was standing up in the, in the seat next to his dad while he was driving. His dad didn't want, you know, suddenly to slam on the brakes and his son to go through the window like a missile. And so he said, son, sit down. And he put his hand here and he was driving. A couple minutes later, a couple, maybe 30 seconds later, his son pops back up. He said, son, I said, sit down. And so the kid plopped back down. Within a matter of a minute, he was standing back up. So his dad just took his hand, put it on top of his head, and pushed him down in the seat. He said, I said, sit down. And he just held his hand on top of the kid's head. A few seconds went by, and through gritted teeth, the little boy looked up at his dad and said, Dad, I may be sitting down on the outside, (laughs) but I'm still standing up on the inside. Now, maybe that's you this morning. You're sitting in that chair because someone dragged you here and made you sit there, and you would rather be anywhere but here and you'd rather be doing anything but besides listening to me. My wife understands that. Um, she feels the same way sometimes. But you are here for a reason. You are listening to this message for a reason. Because God wants to tell you something. And it has everything to do with his resurrection. With the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to tell you in as simple as terms as possible. Why you're here. In the big picture of things. You see, before the foundations of the universe were laid, God already knew you. He had already intended to create you. Now, very quickly, just a lesson in Christian theology. At the bridge, we are Orthodox Christians, not Orthodox in the, in the way that, you know, like we're very, we're very untraditional and very non-liturgical. In other words, we don't do a lot of high church stuff. But when I say orthodox, I mean we're a right down the middle of the fairway 
theologically Christian. And so we believe in a Trinitarian God. We believe in three persons in one Godhead. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing together through all eternity. And the difference between Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that our God, unlike other religious gods, has always existed in community and in relationship. There's always a father, a loving, caring, good father who adored his son, and there was always a son, loving, caring, who adored his father. And there was a spirit that was there too. And together they created the universe. But they created the universe with one thing in mind, and that was to bring you and me into existence. Because love, by its very nature, gives itself away. God was not some lonely old man floating out in the middle of nothing, very, very lonely and very bored. And he needed to create human beings for entertainment. I know he's probably laughing at me this morning, but that's okay. God created us to be his children, to be in his family. And he created us to be in his family. So in that father and son and Holy Spirit relationship, He created us to be pulled into that circle of love and fellowship and to give us himself and everything that he is and has. God is good. God is loving. God is gracious and generous, and he wants you to have his life. Okay? So just remember that. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been. He doesn't care. He loves you. And he's already taken care of of the sin problem that once separated us us from him. I want to read this scripture. This is basically my text for the morning. I want you to hear this loud and clear, and then I'm going to explain it. You know, in, in the book of Romans, Paul talks a lot about sin and how sin separated us from God. In the book of Ephesians, sin isn't mentioned much. But he says this in in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, talking about Satan, the devil, the fallen angel Lucifer, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse (laughs) 4. But God, (laughs) hallelujah, but God, being rich in mercy. Mercy means you're not going to get the punishment you deserve. You're not going to get the rejection, the separation you deserve. Uh, Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. Now, I'm going to put a period right there. You see, God knew us from all eternity. He planned on bringing us into existence. He planned on bringing you into existence, and he brought you here this morning to hear this message. He brought you here online to hear this message. He loves you. And he wanted you here to hear how much he loves you and to hear what he's done for you. 
If you belong to Christ, you have been raised with him. If you don't belong to Christ, he wants to raise you up this morning. You see, uh, he created human beings in his likeness, in his image, to be his children. And his entire purpose, his one purpose, is to, is to live with us for all eternity on the new earth. See, the old earth got messed up when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against Our first set of parents blew it for us. He gave them a choice. Love always demands a choice. You always need a choice. If you're going to love someone, there has to be a choice not to love them, right? If you can't not love somebody, you have no choice. You're basically a robot. I won't go into artificial intelligence, but you know, somebody had to program that stuff. We're not programmed to have to love God. We were created in his image so that we could choose to love God or not. And that was the awful choice that he gave our first parents. And guess what? They chose, they chose door number two. Not good. They were given a choice between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they chose the knowledge of good and evil, the tree. And so they ate the forbidden fruit. And, and God said, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Their bodies didn't drop dead. Their souls continued to live on. They had a mind, will, and emotion. But where they died was in the spirit. Their spirits died. They no longer had eternal life, God living inside of them. They walked away from that and gave birth to an entire race of people that are dead spiritually. But when Christ was raised from the dead and people began to put their faith in him, he gave them his life. He gave them his spirit. He raised them from the dead with him and created an entirely new race of people. For the first time on planet earth since Adam and Eve lost the spirit of God, there was a new race of people that had a body and a soul and they were alive spiritually. Jesus said the devil, the thief, the murderer, the liar, the one who is our enemy because he's jealous of us because he wasn't created in the image of God. He was an angel. He rebelled against God. He was cast out of heaven. He hates you and me because we were created in the image of God and he wasn't. We were created to be his children. He was created to be a servant. He couldn't stand that. And so he rebelled and he's our enemy. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Hey, look around. Guys, just look around. Look around at our, our world that we live in. Pandemics. Drug epidemics, fentanyl, wars, earthquakes, famines, tornadoes, hurricanes, disease, murders. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have cooperated with that to a large degree as a fallen race, as, as people who didn't have the Spirit of God within them. But God who is rich in mercy, when we were dead in our, in our sins and our trespasses, made us alive with Christ and raised us up with him. And so if you belong to Christ, you are now raised with him. You are a part of a new race, a new race of people that are alive in the spirit. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named John. 
John grew up with a Christian mother and a non-Christian father. And his mother taught him the scriptures. And she was a beautiful, wonderful, loving, godly mom. But she died when John was seven years old. And by the time he was 15 years old, he, he had joined his, his dad as a sailor. And he became very, very worldly. He became very, very rebellious. He never gave his life to Christ. And so he was living as a dead man. And eventually, John became the captain of a slave trade ship. He was an alcoholic. He was, he was just a wild man. He fell over, the story goes, he fell over, he was drunk and he fell over, over the, the edge of the ship. And in retrieving him from the water, instead of throwing him a, like a, a lifeline or a buoy, his men threw harpoons, hoping that they, <laughs> hoping that they would accidentally uh, impale him with a harpoon. But they dragged him back on the ship because God wanted him still to be alive. That's the only reason he survived that. His men who hated him pulled him back on the ship. A year or so later, drunk, just, just got done at the tavern, he's staggering down the street and he passes this church and the doors open. And he hears this music and he's intrigued. And something from his childhood begins to resonate in his heart. And so he's drawn into this church and so he staggers in and plops down on the back pew. And he hears a salvation message. He hears about Jesus and about what Jesus has done for us. Now, when I say Christ is risen, let me just explain this too, because this goes with the story. You see, as, as, long, as, as, as long as eternity passed, God has known that he was going to bring you into existence. But he also knew that Adam and Eve would blow it. Our first set of parents would blow it. So he already had a plan for our salvation. The Father and the Son agreed that the Son would come and put on human flesh, would live a perfect, obedient life. He would become the last Adam. See, the first Adam blew it. But he would be the perfect, obedient son. He would live the perfect life. And just the way that, that Dennis read this morning that Adam, by one, one uh, act of disobedience, Adam plunged the human race into sin and death. By the obedience of the, of the one man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, he would do what we couldn't do. He would be obedient for us. And then he would take, at the last second, he would switch places with us. He would take all our sin, all our shame, all our wrongness, and nail it to a cross in his own body. First, our 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He who knew no sin, the sinless Son of God, would become, has become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he took our sin and gave us his righteousness and raised us from the dead to live a new life in the Spirit. So, John staggers into this church. He hears the gospel, and he puts his faith in Christ. Yesterday we had a funeral here, memorial service for Joy Infante, um, Joy's brother Steve is right here. And John, where are you? Yep, hey, you're right there. This precious man's wife passed away. Her request was for two songs. I can only imagine, and the other was a song called Amazing Grace. It was written by a man named John, 
John Newton. Amazing Grace is like the national anthem of the church. It is the most sung hymn, most well-known Christian song in all of history. And it was written by a guy named John Newton. That drunken sailor that staggered into that church that day and encountered the grace of Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And can I also say, was dead, but now I'm alive. Did you know he went on to become a pastor? He wrote an entire hymn book. But the one hymn from that hymn book that we all know and remember is Amazing Grace. There was a young man that came into his congregation named William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was a force, (laughs) but he sat under John Newton, and he became a member of, of the British Parliament, and he spent his entire time as as a a member of the parliament, trying to get slave trade abolished. Brought up under a guy who used to do slave trade. Made his living going to Africa, taking Africans and selling them as slaves in England. And his disciple now is the man who almost single-handedly got slavery abolished in England. And did you know that three days after they voted to abolish slavery, William Wilberforce went home to be with Christ. Three days later, he passed away. His life's purpose was fulfilled. But his pastor was John Newton, that slave trader who was dead but became alive in Christ and helped this young man to understand the evils of slave trade. New creature in Christ. I want to read one more scripture, and then I'm going to invite a good friend of mine, actually two good friends of mine, up here to share something with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And that, that night that 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 drunken sailor, John Newton, stumbled into that church and heard the salvation message and gave his life to Christ. He became a new creation, a completely new person. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. I want to ask Gene and Pam Kelly to come up here. This has been planned in advance, and... um, I want to tell you the story of Gene Kelly and Neil Haney. (laughs) Come on up and just stand right here if you don't mind in front of the little table. So Gene Kelly, Pam Kelly, um, I I just want to tell you the story. Uh, In 1987, I came here as Clark County Jail Chaplain. And and I started... um, at the jail, 80, or 86, 36 years ago. And uh, when I got to the jail as, as Clark County Jail Chaplain, I was 28 years old, and they had a, there was a new sheriff in town. He was all of 33 years old, and he had been 
uh, Clark County Sheriff for three months. He would go on to serve as Clark County Sheriff for almost three decades. But he was new and young and full of himself and prideful and arrogant. And, and he was powerful. And I want to tell you, for a 28-year-old jail chaplain, he was intimidating. I really didn't like to be around Sheriff Kelly because I was intimidated. And uh, I don't even know why. I just, I just felt like I wasn't like okay when I was around him. I, I don't know. I, it was just weird. I was talking to him the other day. I said, do you remember when you came to say goodbye to me when I left the jail? It was my last day. And he made his way over to my side of the, of the jail. And uh, he said, uh, uh, Neil, I just wanted to come and say goodbye. And I want to thank you for your service and blah, blah, blah. Very formal and very impersonal. And he shook my hand and he walked away. And I'm like, okay, we're done. Whew, okay. And because uh, I, I was, you know, I didn't even know what to say. I was kind of tongue-tied and, you know, thank you. I appreciate that, you know. And, um, and so I just kind of lost track of Gene for, you know, almost three decades. And one, one day, uh, it was uh, middle of, of January 2022, I'm in line in my, in my van at Carson's to pick up a prescription, and my phone starts buzzing. And I look at the number, and it's a, it's a 937 area code, so I went ahead and answered it. So I was like, hello? And on the other end, I hear this voice, Neil Haney. I was like, yes? He's like, Gene Kelly, do you remember me? And I wanted to say, how can I forget you? <laughs> he said, uh, Neil, he said, uh, I just wanted to tell you that uh, my wife Pam and I are born-again Christians. And I'm like, okay. He says, uh, we ran into one of your parishioners. I ran into one of your parishioners out walking on the bike trail. He didn't tell me it was 3 in the morning. but anyway, No, it wasn't, it wasn't that early. That's when he's usually out there, though. But He said, I was very touched. Uh, it was a young family, a young woman named Rachel, Rachel Lip. She had her boys with her. And uh, uh, her oldest son prayed for Jean. And he said, I was so touched by that. That uh, I asked her, he said, where do you go to church? And, she, and at the time we were the vineyard, he said, uh, uh, she said, well, I go to the vineyard. He goes, uh, you talking about there on Ridgewood Road East? And she said, yeah. He said, is Neil Haney still pastor out there? And she said, yeah, as a matter of fact, he does. He's my pastor. He said, well, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be in touch with him. I'm going to come to your church. So he calls me that day. He said, uh, Pam and I would like to visit your church. He said, when could we do that? <laughs> Now, I'm embarrassed. I am embarrassed about this part of the story. I'm like, um, you know, we're doing a renovation in our church, and it's probably going to be a good month before we're done with that. And so wh why don't you plan to come like sometime in late February? And this man was so gracious. He said, okay, we'll, we'll see you in February. And I was like, okay, bye. The next day, I get another phone call. Same number. Hello? Neil, this is Gene Kelly. Hi, Sheriff Kelly. Don't call me Sheriff Kelly. Call me Gene. I was like, Gene. He said, uh, Pam and I would like to come and talk to you. Would that be okay? I'm like, sure. He said, when could we do that? I said, how about tomorrow? At I had some time open, you know, from 3 to 5. And so how about tomorrow at 3? 
He said, we'll see you. They came to the office door at 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, January 20th. I opened the door. Pam came in. I'd never met Pam before, but I could tell immediately she was a sweetheart. But the man that walked through that office door that day was not the man that I knew at the Clark County Jail. Instead of pride and arrogance and intimidation, I felt the epitome of humility and the presence of Christ. And I was in shock. I was absolutely in shock. And so I welcomed them in. We went to my office. We, we talked for about, I don't know, half an hour maybe. Jean had a lot, I mean, uh, Pam had a lot of questions about the church and that and so forth. Gene didn't say a whole lot, and then he said, hey, could we see the renovation that you're doing? So I walked him through the church and showed him the, the children's wing we were renovating. He remembered that room. He'd been there at some point when it was still our church. We used to meet in that room. We ended up downstairs on the couch uh, in front of the fireplace. I was sitting on one uh, couch. They were sitting on the other. Pam continued to talk, and Gene didn't say a lot. But then he said, uh, after we talked another 20 minutes or so, he said, well, Pam, we need to let Pastor Neil get back to, to work. And I'll never forget what happened next. He leans forward and looks me right in the eye, and he said, Neil, I want you to know something. I am not the same man that you knew at the Clark County Jail. And I said, Gene, you didn't have to tell me that. I could see that the moment I met you at the, at the office door. He was a new creation. Something had significantly changed. When he told me he was born again, I was very uncertain about that. But the moment I was in his presence, I could tell something had profoundly changed. I'm going to let him in a moment tell you what happened. But I will say this. I spent the next eight months with Gene. By the way, they came that Sunday and they've been here ever since. I think they maybe missed two Sundays in the last year and a half. But I spent the next eight months, an hour and a half on Friday afternoon with Gene. We, I called it discipleship, but we just built a friendship. And now Gene Kelly is one of my dearest, closest friends and brother. I'm not intimidated around him anymore. I just feel this deep love and appreciation for a man. And I've watched him touch the lives of so many people, him and Pam together including my own. Like, like, we've seen miracles happen in our church. To me, the greatest miracle of all is a changed life, is someone who was dead but now is alive. And so, Gene, I just want to ask you, just to briefly, can you share what happened in 2019? And anything else that you want to say, but go ahead. Well, Pam and I are honored and flattered and truly humbled to be up here. But... One Friday night, March the 6th, 1987, I was a policeman that day and got off of work, punched out, and at 9 o'clock that night, I was the sheriff of Clark County. And <laughs> 33 years old. 33. I was the youngest sheriff in Ohio. I had this power. I had this responsibility. Yeah. And a whole lot of people, I think they were... 12 or 14 people running against me that night. <laughs> wow. And so a lot of people right off the bat were against me. Yeah. But I had this image of what I thought mm -hmm. this sheriff should be. And that mm -hmm. mostly was from watching John Wayne Westerns and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> so I started my journey. 
I worked hard every day. I polished every button for hours. I polished. My shirts were creased. My pants. I wore my squared away hat. I built an image. And it was hard for me to live up to. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to condense this story. But through it all, I met my friend who became my best friend who became my wife and my partner in life. And then in 2016, the unthinkable, we thought, happened because we thought, man, we just bought a new house right around the corner here, and we were starting our lives, and I lost the election. And we thought, why did this happen? Mm. Why? Yeah. But we didn't know. God had another plan. Amen. He had a plan. Yeah. It was his plan. Yeah. He knew 44 years was enough. Yeah. And that was it. So Pam and I, we were going to another church. We went to three churches in three years. <laughs> um, but we decided to take our money out of savings and go to Israel. Pam said, let's go. And we went and when Neil's up here talking about being there, we went to Israel, and we went to the Sea of Galilee, and we took a boat across the Sea of Galilee, just like Jesus and the disciples. Mm -hmm. And we went to the upper room mm -hmm. for the Last Supper, and we went down into the dungeon where Jesus was held. Mm -hmm. We went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and... Then we walked through the streets of Jerusalem, just as Jesus did, carrying the cross. Mm -hmm. And we went out to Golgotha, and the tomb, the tomb was empty. Amen. <laughs> and we went down to the stone where he was laid. His body was laid yeah. on that stone. Mm -hmm. And we were baptized in the Jordan River. We renewed our wedding vows at Canaan. But that whole experience, Jesus was alive. Yeah. The Holy Spirit came into my body. Jesus, it was a transition for both of yeah, us. Amen. It truly yeah, was. Yeah. And I'm telling you, save your money and make the trip. <laughs> we did it. And we would love to go back again, and, mm -hmm. but it, it was all real. When you yeah. can touch the places that he touched mm -hmm. and see it, yeah. and, you know, it's just an unbelievable experience. And awesome. I am a new person, yes. and I am thankful that yeah. I am here with Neil and Dennis yeah. and Wes yeah. and all of you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gene. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Pam, I just, you know what I'm going to ask you. The difference between pre-Israel and post-Israel, Gene Kelly, what would you say? Hold it close to your mouth. It's on already. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, when I started at the sheriff's office, I worked in the administrative offices. And although he was kind to the people that would come in to talk to him there was a he was prideful he was boastful he was arrogant um you know 
different types of conversations that he would hold with people in the administration, and I could just I could just see the pride, I could feel the pride and the arrogance, and there were sometimes you just you didn't want to be around him. But um, as as time went on and we got married, and then when we went to Israel, he was he was in a transitioning period mm-hmm. before we went to Israel yeah. after he had lost the election, yeah. and I lost my job. Then we started to see God working in our hearts and in our lives, yeah. and we worked in a very toxic environment, very toxic people, and. I was becoming a very toxic person. He was toxic. But once that election was lost and our jobs were lost, that's when God humbled us. He humbled Gene. (laughs) And, you know, there was a lot of times that, you know, Gene was up here and I was down here. And I thought, you know, he's just so arrogant and prideful. You know, there were some times that, I didn't even want to talk to him. Mm -hmm. But then when we were humbled and we went to Israel, I saw a complete change in him. Amen. Yeah. There's no there's no pride. There's no there's no boastfulness. There's no nothing but love for the fellow person. You know, and there were times that We'd see people out on the road, you know, how they beg. They're at um, exit ramps and stuff. And, you know, he's even stopped the car and given them money. Mm -hmm. And he has completely changed his, his life is completely a reversal of what he was. And he loves people. Is easier to live with? He is. He is. Sometimes yeah. I feel like I'm up here and he's oh, down there. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, it, it was a very humbling experience yeah. to walk where Jesus walked mm-hmm. and know that he was alive. Yeah. And Amen. I see the resurrection in Gene. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He has, he's in Gene's heart. Yes, he's in his yeah. life. Yep. And yeah. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is real. Amen. Amen. Jesus is real. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, guys. Sure love you. I just thought you should see Exhibit A, that uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And like I said, Gene Kelly is now one of my closest, dearest friends and brothers. And I love Pam. And and as a couple, they're amazing. But it's just because of Jesus. It's because they're new. It's because they were raised with Christ to live a new life. And so here's what I want to do right now. So, So, you know, I would love to talk about all the ramifications of what happens once you're raised with Christ. But this morning, you're going to have to you're going to have to learn that on your own. But I am going to give you an opportunity. If you haven't been raised with Christ, if you haven't come into that relationship with him, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. So would you stand with me, please, everybody?
And we're all going to pray this out loud so no one feels strange about this. And if you're watching online, I invite you to pray the same prayer. But I want to lead you in a prayer that will bring you into resurrection life with Christ. So would you pray this prayer with me? And let's pray it out loud. Dear Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins and give me eternal life. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming and dying for me. Thank you for paying for all my sins. Thank you for giving me your spirit. I am now alive in you. I receive your life. And I thank you for it. In your name I pray, amen. Now, I want you to say something with me. We're going to do the, the Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. But then I'm going to add something. So let's do this. Christ is risen. In Christ you are risen. Hallelujah. Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.